Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. is the Church Law Podcast, where you can get practical solutions for today's leaders. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. Welcome back to the Church Law Podcast. My name is Erika Cole, and I am the creator of the Church Attorney Legal Audit System, a proprietary process for denominations and churches to assess their health from a legal perspective. Learn more and download your free legal audit document checklist found in the show notes. And let me also mention that my office renovations are in their final stages. So you may hear some construction sounds in the background. Um, So be forewarned. (laughs) Um, I'm thrilled to be your podcast host. And I want to thank each of you for listening and for your ongoing support including your five-star ratings and positive reviews. I just want to share that one listener left this review. As a longtime church leader, I subscribe to the Church Law Podcast because it is engaging and informative. The host is competent, compelling, and selects the exact topics I need to hear. She shares complex concepts in an easy-to-understand manner. Five stars, exclamation point. Well, thank you so much. And for each of you, I really appreciate you being here. Can you believe that we're coming up on two years of the podcast? It still blows my mind just how receptive you all have been. And we love being able to bring this information to you and amazing guests. So speaking about great topics and guests, I am super excited to welcome today a guest who is both an attorney and a pastor. His name is Travell Travis. And he received his Bachelor of Arts in 2000 from University of Virginia with a double major in history and African-American studies and a minor in religious studies. He received his Juris Doctor in 2003 from Howard University. And since 2003, Attorney Travis has been employed by the Hampton University School of Business where he teaches entrepreneurship and business law courses. In addition, from 2004 to 2017, Attorney Travis served as an assistant dean for the School of Business. In 2005, he opened his own general practice law firm, where he represents pastors, entrepreneurs, creatives, and the community. He's admitted to practice in law in the Commonwealth of Virginia and the District of Columbia. He is also a member of the Apostolic Law Association. He regularly presents seminars and entrepreneurship and various legal matters. He began pastoring. He was a founding pastor starting in 2009 in a church with international connections where he is a member of the General Board of Bishops, the trustee board, and serves as general counsel. 
He's also the author of several scholarly journal articles and two books, including one that we will undoubtedly discuss today (laughs) called Where Will the Mantle Fall? A Biblical and Legal Guide to Succession Planning, which he wrote in 2020. He is married and has three beautiful daughters. So welcome to the podcast, Attorney Travis. Thank you so much, Erika. This is an awesome opportunity. I'm humbled to be one of your guests today. Thank you so much. So as you know, we are talking today about pastoral succession. And you've literally written the book on this topic (laughs) called Where Will the Mantle Fall? A Biblical and Legal Guide to Succession Planning. So I'm just going to start off by mentioning the fact that our theme for this season, for those who've been listening all along the way, you know that our theme has been strengthening your church for the long haul. And the foundational scripture, I'm not the pastor, you are, but uh, this is what (laughs) God put on my heart, was from Revelation chapter three, verse two, where it says, be watchful and Mm -hmm. strengthen the things which remain. I read a statistic that just blew my mind. It said that in the past 25 years in the United States, 40 million people have stopped attending church. Wow. 40 million people in the past 25 years. If that's not a crisis of the church, I don't know what is. I'm also excited that we had a podcast episode, which I'll link below, with the amazing Chief Impact Officer for Christianity Today. Her name is Dr. Nicole Massey-Martin. And here's what she indicated, that fewer young leaders are stepping in to fill the roles left by older pastors and church leaders. So my question to you is, why did you write your book about this biblical guide and legal guides to succession planning. What called you to this important subject of succession? Wow, those statistics are alarming. And, and I hope that through this podcast and conversations, we can begin to address it, not only the number of people who no longer attend church, but I think, as you mentioned, the, the increasing age of those who are in leadership. I think I can't quote the statistic. It said it used to be the median age of a pastor was 40. I think now it's increased to age 60. And yeah. fewer young people are interested in entering the ministry. So what does that hold for the future of our churches? Mm-hmm. If young men and women aren't interested even in not only the church, but definitely not in the leadership um, of the church, which yeah. I think ties into the issue of succession planning. You asked the question, what made me write the book? I literally got a call several years ago, early in my career. Uh, one of our uh, bishops uh, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and was essentially on his deathbed and asked me to come to his house because he wanted to put together a succession plan. He was an entrepreneur. He was a pastor. He had remarried. And so he wanted to make sure everything was in place. And he, w- I guess you would say he had the benefit of time knowing that perhaps his time was limited, but it was a very difficult conversation to have with someone who was on their deathbed. He literally I went home Christmas to speak with him. I came back New Year's with a draft of some documents in which he signed in the hospital with his court team. And the following week, he had passed away. Wow. And so just realizing that he was fortunate that he, I guess he knew his time was limited. He still had 
my cognitive abilities, but just having a conversation like that with someone on their deathbed, so there has to be a better way to do this earlier in the process than wait to someone who's nearly two weeks away from their transition. That's a powerful, powerful example. I've been in a similar capacity in seeing these examples of whether it's someone who is aware that they're transitioning. So it's Mm -hmm. a blessing that at least he had the cognitive and and the willingness to recognize that this is urgent and something that he Mm -hmm. wanted to do before he transitioned. But I've also been in the situation where transitions have been maybe hostile in some way, right? Right. Not like someone who's wanted to transition or maybe the transition has taken place because someone didn't have advance notice of, of a matter of incapacity. And sometimes the transition has been because the person has decided And we've seen this a lot since COVID. I just don't want to do this anymore, right? Right. So whether the initiation Mm -hmm. is coming from the church side Mm -hmm. or whether it's coming from the leadership side, there needs to be a process. And as much as we can prepare in advance, it's going to serve everyone well. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And not only that example of that church, but having worked in our own organization, I've seen where Secession has worked very smoothly and the trains have continued to stay on track and run on schedule and the successor is doing well. The church is flourishing and the opposite end, churches have splintered, have have folded because there wasn't a clear directive as to what direction what would go next. And so I think the more we can do, who knows what the future holds and how people will respond. But I think that the more proactive in trying to put something in place in advance is to everyone's advantage. Yes, I love that. And obviously, again, you have written from both a biblical perspective as well as a legal perspective. You're in this amazing and unique position to have both, right? As a pastor as and as an attorney. And as you suggested, there is research from Barna Group and others that shows the church has a leadership gap right? As pastors retire, as fewer and fewer younger people are rising to take on those roles, there are issues. But there's also this reality of what I've seen on my end, a reluctance of older pastors to pass the baton, right? Right. So can you speak to that? Wow. There's so many factors that goes into that reluctancy. Some is financial, that because they didn't make preparations earlier in their ministry, they financially can't retire because the church is not positioned to perhaps pay them a retirement and well, it's paid the new pastor salary. Some deals with some of the ideas of pastoring to one's demise. And I think with reading of the Bible and other literature, it's okay to preach until one passes away, but one doesn't necessarily have to pastor until one passes away. That is okay to transition to other roles that doesn't require being the day-to-day pastor of a ministry. I think it also goes into preparing a pool of people that can be the successor. You can't start training people likely in the same year (laughs) that you look at the transition, that you have to start identifying people early, giving them responsibilities, giving them projects, see how they respond, put them in front of the people so that Rather than having one person you have to select by default, 
you actually have a pool of people that are qualified and what's ultimately God and the people, you know, will make the selection. I think the other thing I find is that some people just don't know their options, that there's a certain fear that if I put something in place today, what if I need to change it down the road? And then I share, similar to a will, you have a will today, but you can amend the will until you become incompetent or you pass away. And similar, a pastor can have a succession plan that speaks to the realities of today, but also can be updated, revised, and amended over the course of years to reflect where the ministry is, perhaps when that leader is more elderly, health is in decline, or looking for retirement. So I think one of the things I've tried to do is educate leaders on options. Hey, you can do it this way, you can do it that way, but at least try to put something in place that speaks to the realities of now, but that can be adjusted to the realities of tomorrow. Such good information, Attorney Travis. I absolutely love what you said. First of all, highlighting some of the challenges that exist of why maybe pastors aren't as willing to pass that baton, right? Mm -hmm. You mentioned specifically the financial constraints that can exist. And I just want to say, there is no shame if you're a pastor and you don't feel financially prepared to retire. Because let's be honest, there are people in jobs with what much larger salaries There are plenty of attorneys who may not feel ready to retire or doctors who don't feel ready to retire or educators or whatever the case may be. So I just want to encourage pastors to release any shame that may be associated with the fact that you may be holding on longer than you want to because of the financial constraints or the financial concerns. I just want to identify that while those financial concerns exist and they are real, there can be a path forward there still can be a path forward. And we'll be happy to share some resources, drop some resources in the show notes as well. I know that I created some resources specifically for this reason around pastoral transition. It's called Take the Next Call. And so I'll include that information as well. So I loved how you mentioned having a pool of people. I love that you mentioned that that allows God ultimately, but also the people to become acquainted with possible successors. And so this is how I've expressed it in the past. You can tell me your thoughts. I generally say that succession from a legal standpoint, if you want to be able to document it, either you identify a process or a person, right? If you know a person, if you know, if you and the person and the people, right, agree, Mm -hmm. this is the next step for our ministry. It's great to be able to identify that individual by name, to be able to have that process outlined. And if you don't, that's okay as well. But identify a process. The process is the board will identify a Mm -hmm. pool of one, two, three, four people. It will out, you just outline the process in writing so everybody knows what the next steps are. In my experience, and please share yours, I've just found that the worst case scenario, just like somebody dying without a will, is something happens and nobody knows what right. your wishes were as a leader, and right. nobody knows where to go from here. Absolutely. And, and those two approaches, I think, are spot on. If you know who the person is, just go ahead and identify the person and let that person be in front of the people. And so it's a smoother transition. But in many cases where they're reluctant to name that person because they're afraid of the reaction or 
they're uncertain, they narrowed it down, or they know the criteria. So in the instance of the one I worked with, he knew who he wanted, but he wasn't sure whether that person would accept it. And so he had a contingency to say if they would take it, yes, but if not, then it will revert to an open process. In the end, the person that he wanted <laughs> ended up being selected. You know, over a decade later, the church is doing fine. Right. But, you know, sometimes you even have to deal with the reluctance of the successor because they have to deal with their own insecurities. They have to think about their own ministerial aspirations. Do they want to start a church? Do they want to succeed somebody? And depending on their relationship with that successor, just the thought of that person transitioning can be very difficult if they really are a loyal son or daughter. Like, I can't even think about succeeding you because I don't want to even think about a time when you're not here. Yes. And so so I, I think it's so many different emotional, uh, mental, spiritual, financial, dealing with the people. But I absolutely agree with you that you identifying the person and having it in proper writing, just saying something in pillow talk isn't sufficient. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned in the car, oh, yeah, if something happened to me, you know, or even just even declarations over the pulpit. It needs to be put in in writing, whether it's the bylaws or that successor affidavit, something that and have the requisite signatures. If it's a successor affidavit or have it notarized or the bylaws that they're ratified, that everybody knows which version, because we've had churches where they've amended bylaws, but the amendments were not properly ratified. And so one set of bylaws says this person is the successor, but this amended set of bylaws says this is the process. So then which approach do we have? So making sure that it's documented and documented properly is essential too, because if you have it documented, but not documented properly, <laughs> you still got a mess on your hands. Yeah. And perhaps an even worse mess, right? Um, I often say that the only thing worse than putting something in writing is putting something in writing that you don't follow, right? So then you, so we're not clear about what you have written. We, you know, so there are right. whole, I mean, I think people, hopefully listeners are just appreciating the fact that while the issues around succession are real, they come up all the time. There can be a way to move forward that allows for success. You know, right. I remember saying that succession starts with success, right? That's, That's the first part of succession. Right. The goal is to have continued long-term success of the ministry. That is, I think, the undergirding desire. And I think there is a way that can be done. I want to ask you a couple of final questions as we wrap up. Time goes by so fast. One of the things that I'm excited that we'll be talking about, you know, I I host a conference every year called the Church Compliance Conference. This is our 16th year. Yeah, it's an exciting time. And, you know, this is the first time that we're able to be in person again since 2019. Right. So it's hybrid. So we have this fantastic in-person option as well. One of the things that we're talking about during the event is succession planning for every church size. Because I do think there is a reality that how succession is handled Mm -hmm. can vary based on whether you're a church of 100 or if you're a part of a denomination, if you are a church of 10,000. I do think that there are some differences. Does your book speak to how succession may vary depending upon the kind of church? I can't say the book specifically, but I did deal with a pastor 
He said, I've been pastoring for 40 years. I have about 20 members. I don't have any ministers, never really had any ministers, but I want to put together a succession plan. And so that question specifically, so then we had to consider, okay, are you connected to a denomination? You know, who would be in charge? Would it be your bishop that's over you? Have you expressed to him who you may, may not want? Are there any preachers that speak at your church regularly as an evangelist or a guest speaker? Is it anybody outside of your congregation that you think would have interest in, in taking over the ministry that the congregation will feel comfortable? Because that's another option that a lot of, I guess, when it comes into succession planning, sometimes we try to force an internal candidate that's not really suitable. Yeah. And we're not open to the outsider. And then sometimes we overlook the insider for yeah. the outsider. We want I've the big man to come in to take over the ministry. But once again, those are options to consider. That if you don't find anyone suitable, is there somebody that has a rapport with your people, that respects your people, that takes a liking to your people, that may be interested in returning home or just taking over ministry or moving up from their ministry to a larger ministry? So I think those are very important options to consider. And I just want to add to the very good options that you've provided. One of the things that I've mentioned is the possibility of merger written on that topic as well, because I think mergers obviously are very well known in the for-profit arena, but more and more churches are seeing that as a good option. So if you are perhaps connected to a ministry that you respect and you are recognizing that you're at the end of the term that God wants Mm -hmm. you to have, then Mm -hmm. maybe merging with another church could be a fantastic option to be considered. Absolutely. I worked with a church last year where the, the pastor wasn't old, but he knew that his season for pastoring was over. Mm-hmm. He had the facilities, building paid off, everything. But then there was a younger pastor, younger, energetic, innovative, growing, thriving congregation, but didn't have a facility. Yeah. And so the merger worked where he became the pastor emeritus. The other pastor, he basically brought his congregation over. They became members. They went through a name change. They have the building that they didn't have. He now has the young people and the musicians and the singers and the energy. And it's been two years and it's worked really, really, really well. Yes. Yeah. That's fantastic. I've seen just phenomenal outcomes in Mm -hmm. this option of church merger. So I just want to mention that as well. We'll share some more details below. Anything else you want to share regarding your book? Where can people find it? And any information you want to share as we close out? Well, once again, thank you, Attorney Coles, for this awesome opportunity. You're one of my mentors and I have the highest regard and respect for you and what you do. You're, you've set the standard, you've blazed the trail, and we were grateful for what you're doing. The book, uh, Where Would a Mantle Fall? Biblical Legal Guide to Succession Planning can be found on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You can also go to the website, Where Would a Mantle Fall? We also have Mantle Mondays podcast on Apple and Spotify, in which it started out as a virtual launch party. It was supposed to be for some of the ones that reviewed the book because we was in the middle of the pandemic and we couldn't schedule them together. So we started interviewing them one at a time. And now we're in our third season where we interview different leaders who have dealt with succession or just pioneers in ministry. And so those two outlets, the book and the podcast, can be a great resource to those who are experiencing succession, whether they are the successor, whether they are the founder, thinking about transition, 
whether the church was handed over to them or it kind of fell in their lap, <laughs> How, however it happens, or they were invited in to, to take over a ministry and had to be a Nehemiah, rebuild the walls and really almost start over. And others were basically flying and took over the plane in midair, if you will, and mm-hmm. now soared on to greater heights with the ministry. But it is interesting to hear the different stories from real people who have not just, but that have lived it in, in real yeah. time. Well, I appreciate it. We're so glad that you were here today. Thank you for all the information that you've shared. And hopefully the listeners will take advantage of those resources as well. We wish you continued blessings in your work. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for listening. I'm happy to be your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney and creator of the Church Attorney Legal Audit System, my four-step proprietary process that helps churches and denominations assess their legal risk. Set the tone for integrity in your church and download your free copy of the Legal Audit Document Checklist using the link in the show notes below and learn more at erikacole.com. That's E-R-I-K-A-C-O-L-E.com. podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax, part of Christianity Today's podcast network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional person should be sought. Due to the nature of the U.S. legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights.